Hey, listen, this is the last week of Holy Spirit rain. Can you believe it? 11 weeks total. I know it's been, it's been very, very, very good. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I say it's the last week, like we couldn't keep teaching for the rest of our lives on that subject, right? You know what I mean? But we've been learning from the Word what it means to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and how we can allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in and through our lives because you can't live a life worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ Jesus without the Holy Spirit. That's something that we've said every week. We declare that every week. Without the Holy Spirit bringing to life the Word and bringing us to life, there's no way we can live worthy of the calling that we've received. And so uh, we began building a foundation. And I want you to hear me really, really close in case you haven't been here. We've been building really a foundation for a move of the Holy Spirit in this church. I don't know if you know that or not. And I don't know if you've noticed that the Holy Spirit has been moving and just giving us sweet visitations of his presence. But this is what we've been doing. And we laid a, a, I feel like a solid foundation of that. We talked about who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit is not an it, but the Holy Spirit is, an, is a he. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, how it's important to let the Spirit saturate every part of our lives, no part of our lives untouched by the Holy Spirit. Um, we talked about the supernatural nature of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit lives in us, but that at times He will come upon us in power when the natural is not quite enough. And if you remember, we said that where there is no need, there is no supernatural. Where there's no need, there's no supernatural move of God. And, and we established people have needs. People have physical needs. They have emotional needs. Uh, they have physical needs. And God wants to meet those needs. In fact, if you're here this morning, I think a part of what was going on was that God wants to meet your needs. Not that it's all about your needs, but Scripture says that He knows what you need before you even ask. And so He knows and He cares, and His desire is to come close and meet your needs. Um, and oftentimes, He will use people like you and me, even though we're just a bunch of reprobates, <laughs> He will use us to minister and to meet needs of people, of believers, and of non-believers. But we need the Holy Spirit flowing in and through us in order for that to happen. And so we talked about those things, and that led us to the nine manifestation gifts uh, that are to be used to build up uh, the believers and then to reach out to the unbelievers. Now, um, you, if you want to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12-ish, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14-ish, um, because Paul's teaching here in 1 Corinthians 12, which is where all the nine manifestation gifts are listed, because it's mostly coming from the context of biblical community, uh, especially public gatherings, i.e. church services. As we wrap up this series, it would do us good to pay attention to how Paul wrapped up this topic. You hear what I'm saying? We're wrapping up this series, and the way that we want to do this is by paying attention to how Paul wrapped up the topic. In fact, if you go ahead and look, toward, look at 1 Corinthians 14, towards the end, um, from the middle towards the end, he gives some practical instructions on how these spiritual gifts are to be used, um, especially the more showy gifts, like prophecy and tongues. And then he says, in verse 33, he gives these instructions, and we talked about a lot of those, so... Um, but look at verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. It says, For God is not a God of confusion. Some of your versions say um, disorder. Some of your versions say, may, may say chaos. 
For God is not a God of confusion, chaos. In other words, spiritual gifts should really never bring chaos into the service. And I'll just say that and get that out of the way. It's one of the things that we are seeking as we allow the Holy Spirit to flow in our services, whether there's words of knowledge given, words of wisdom, prophetic words, uh, healings, uh, a public tongue or an interpretation of tongues, um, miracles. You know, I'm trying to figure out what miracle would happen in here. Maybe somebody would float around the room or something. I don't know. But whatever it is, Paul says that these things are to be done decently and in order. In fact, if you look down at verse 39, he says, All things must be done properly, some of your versions say decently, and in an orderly manner. And so back at 33, he says, God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of chaos. And then he says, but of peace. God is a God of peace. And then I, I want you to pay attention to this. He says, as in all the churches of the saints... And when he says, as in all the churches, I believe that what he's saying is that other churches were actually experiencing the peaceful presence of God in their services. When they gathered, there was power, but there was peace. There was power, yes, but there was also peace. Sometimes in in certain denominational circles, there can be this big, uh, what seems like a big explosion of power, but it can be very unpeaceful, a lack of rest. It can be very chaotic. And that is not what Paul intended. So just to kind of clear the air here, we definitely want to, the Holy Spirit to move, but it, but it, needs, to be in decent, uh, it needs to be decent and in order. You know? Well, I don't know why, but I think of the word decent. I probably shouldn't even say this. Never mind. I'll just move on. I think of people like taking their clothes. It's like, we definitely don't need any of that, you know? But decent and in order. Um, in fact, if you look at Acts chapter 9, a lot, a lot of you love Acts. Uh, we walked through uh, quite a bit of Acts a couple of years ago. But in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. All these churches in that area enjoyed peace. And it says being built up. In other words, they were experiencing spiritual maturity, which is the greater goal here. You know what I mean? If, if we can do all kinds of fluffy spiritual stuff, but nobody's growing spiritually, like Marvin was talking about, nobody's being transformed, nobody's um, changing and standing out from the wall, then really there's nothing significant going on. Because God's purpose in our life is that we be transformed. In fact, transformed into His image to reflect His glory, His character. And so it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, growing spiritually mature. See, Right here in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, you know, he's writing, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And, and the church of Corinth had started out as a strong, uh, a simple but strong community of new believers. Gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping in spirit and truth. But pretty quickly, this church began to allow the culture and their previous lives, lifestyles, mentalities, thinking creep back into their heart. And as it began creeping back into their heart, it began creeping into the church. In fact, that's why Paul starts out 1 Corinthians 12 the way he did. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, and I love that he says spiritual. In fact, in the original rendering, gifts wasn't even there. You just know that he's talking about gifts because he goes through those gifts. But he he basically says now concerning spirituality because he had just addressed them in previous chapters on carnal things, just fleshly things. It's like just everyday stuff that you're not being or doing at home. 
You know, and then he comes into this spiritual stuff that has a little bit more to do with the public gathering. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be aware. You know that when you were pagans, (laughs) you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. See, most of the Christians in the church of Corinth were previously Gentiles. In other words, they weren't Jewish. And they were pagan. And they had all kinds of spiritual history, if you know what I mean. A lot of encounters with the demonic. They were pagan. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so he says, you know that you were pagans and you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. And this is, what prob- this is probably what Paul was dis- uh, discerning, that they were in danger of being led astray again. Now, how can that happen in the context of church? It can happen. And Paul is concerned. He's warning them. You know, now they probably weren't worshiping idols again, but... There was something, and I want you to hear me close. There was something that was decreasing in their midst. There was something decreasing. They may not have come in with these cool idols in their hands and say, look what I brought this week. I'm going to bow down to that. What are you going to bow down to? It probably wasn't anything of that going on, but there was something that was decreasing in their midst, in their worship services. What was it that Luke writes in Acts 9? Let's look back at that. In fact, turn there if you didn't already. What was it? That Luke writes about in Acts chapter 9 that allowed all of those churches in those areas he was talking about to be built up and to enjoy peace. Let's look at it. Acts 9, and in fact, look at verse 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria, enjoyed peace, being built up, and then it says, And going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it continued to increase. Now, I want to say this very clearly this morning, as plainly as I can and as as quickly as I can. I believe that God wants to move mightily in our church. I believe God wants to do amazing things in our midst. And not even just as we gather, but in our lives, as we go about and live our lives, in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, the different things that we're in. I believe that God wants to move miraculously. I believe that he wants us to be a people that are taking him at his word, believing that when he said this mountain can move, then by golly, we can pray and that mountain will be moved. Amen. Those kinds of things I believe that God wants to do in our midst. I believe he wants us to enjoy peace. I believe that he wants us to be built up as a body. You know, equipped for every good work, like Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Equipped for every good work. He wants us to do those things. And I believe that he wants us to continue to increase, like it says. To increase um, in spiritual maturity. Obviously, that's what he wants more than anything. But listen, I believe he wants us to increase in physical size. In the number of people that come every week to be ministered to and to minister to one another. That for that (laughs) little army at Soma to grow so that we can go and make a bigger dent in the lost in this community. I believe that God wants all those things, but listen to me very closely. We would be naive to think that our church could not just as easily find itself in a place of being led astray as these Corinthians. We would be very naive. Listen, we too were once lost people. Maybe we weren't idol worshipers, But at the very least, we were self-worshippers. There's not a whole lot of difference, really, is there? You know, I have a past. I have memories. I have tendencies. 
And the enemy knows these things about me, and he's making his advances towards me to bring me down. And he's doing the same thing for all of us and for all of our families. And he's making his advances, uh, his advances on our church, too. You know, we, too, are a community of faith like these Corinthians, gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping in spirit and truth, trying to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, trying to live for Jesus in the midst of a culture and a generation that is anti-Jesus. There's, there's some, some similarities there. You with me? How do we stay the course? I'll just narrow this down. How do we stay the course and remain a people, remain a church that's enjoying peace, that's being built up, and that is in, continually increasing? Let's look again at Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, this is verse 31, enjoyed peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And I want to focus real quick on that phrase, going on. That going on means to pursue, like that little phrase together means to pursue the journey on which one has, uh, which one has already entered. They were already on a journey of fearing the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were continuing the way they were already going. They were doing what they were, were continuing in what they were already doing. If you're writing things down, you can try to write this little thing down as fast as you can. Otherwise, maybe just let it soak into you. It wasn't, listen carefully, it wasn't peace and spiritual maturity that brought the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It was the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit that brought peace and spiritual maturity. Let me say it one more time. It wasn't peace and spiritual maturity. Once I get some peace, once I grow up in the Lord, I'll start fearing the Lord and I'll, I'll start walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. No, that's not the way it goes. It was the fear of the Lord and the comfort in the Holy Spirit that brought the peace and the spiritual maturity. And peace and spiritual maturity or building up and all the things it was talking about there in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, um, 14. Those are the things that we want to see in our midst. Those are the things that will keep us from being led astray. And if this is true, that the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit is what actually brings the peace and the spiritual maturity, then we need to look at these two things. We need to look at the fear of the Lord and we need to look at the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is how we're ending this whole series on these two things. And I want to start with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get too geeky on you, but that word for comfort, this is the focus right here. You think, well, the Holy Spirit should be the focus. Well, it is, but the word I want to focus on is the word comfort, and it's the word paraclesis. And it comes from the same word, paraclete, that, that the Holy Spirit is described as, the helper, the one who comes along uh, beside to help. The Holy Spirit is the helper, the paraclete, or paraclete, or however you want to say it. This word for comfort is paraclesis, and here's what it means. A calling near, like a summons, like summoning, especially for help, especially in a time of help. So what they were doing here, when it says that they going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were just walling around and all the benefits of the Holy Spirit. We're just getting all this. No, what that means is that they were continuing to summon the Holy Spirit. They were continuing to cry out for the help of the Holy Spirit. 
Are you following me? They continued. They were doing that before the peace came, before the spiritual maturity. In fact, the peace and spiritual maturity came because they were calling out to the Holy Spirit. They were calling the Holy Spirit near. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you, Holy Spirit. Peace and and, and spiritual maturity doesn't just happen in our lives. It just doesn't come out of thin air. We have to pursue the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing that we don't. We don't. We have to pursue the help of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he will never fail to pour himself out when we ask. In fact, beyond what we could imagine and what we originally asked for, usually. I'm asking for this, but when the Holy Spirit moves, he goes exceedingly above and beyond what I could have even imagined. And that's his desire. That's what he is. The paraclete sent to help us. And what we need to do is have a little paraclesis going on. A little pursuing of the Holy Spirit. Asking him. You know, early in my faith, I didn't know how to ask the Holy Spirit for help. I didn't know to ask the Holy Spirit for help. I just thought that, that he would work out my junk whenever he got good and ready. You know, and what happened is I began uh, getting frustrated. I was kind of a frustrated believer. I was frustrated at God. You know what I mean? Um, And there's all kinds of stories in that. But you know, once I became a youth pastor, I was 25 years old. I'd been saved for six years. Didn't know much of the word. Didn't know much. I mean, I'd sat in church and I'd heard sermons and stuff. And that's good. It's good to hear sermons. But I hadn't done a whole lot. You know, I'd even gone to a Bible school, but, but either I wasn't paying attention or sleeping. I don't know what the deal, or maybe the teachers weren't good. I don't know. But I didn't seem to understand that I needed to pursue the Holy Spirit. And I can remember when I had the responsibility of teaching these kids, which I had never done before. I was a worship leader turned youth pastor. And I can remember whenever I started teaching these kids that I started finding Bible verses like, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I started finding verses like, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And like in uh, Hebrews 11, he who comes to God must believe. He who comes to God. You know what I mean? Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm finding these phrases and I'm like, people need to know this stuff. Like when Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him, to those who ask of him? See, we have to pursue the help of the Holy Spirit. That leads to peace in our lives. It leads to us being built up. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things that, which make for peace. It kind of says it right there. It's the Holy Spirit. It's what brings peace in our life. We pursue, we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. It's funny that both of those things are in that scripture too. We pursue the things that bring peace and build spiritual maturity. We pursue that. And that pursuit begins with the Holy Spirit. My question is, is are we calling out for the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we summoning the Holy Spirit? And I don't mean like in a seance, trance kind of thing. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. He's almost here. I don't mean that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about beseeching the Lord. You know what I mean? Crying out to the Lord. Lord, I need you. 
Remember what we said? The supernatural is for the needy. Where there is no need, there is no supernatural move of God. Some of us, again, I've said this over the last several weeks, one way or the other. I'm saying it again, I suppose. Listen, the reason that some of you are not experiencing God's supernatural power and influence in your life is because you're not seeking Him. The promise is that if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. That's Bible. That's not Tony. That's Jesus. That's the promise that He is has made for us? Are we asking Him to be active in our lives? Are we depending upon Him to be active in our lives? If not, then something is missing. And this is why I did comfort first, because what's missing, if we're not pursuing the Holy Spirit, asking of Him in our times of need, if we're not, then what's missing is what comes just before that. And that's the fear of the Lord. If there's no fear of the Lord in your life, then you will not... Even give a flip, really. And you're certainly not going to ask. You, you step into this mode of complacency. I'm fine with whatever. Listen, God is never fine with whatever. I don't even know that whatever is in God's vocabulary. Because God is specific. He has specific words that He's speaking over you. In your design, when He designed you, the Scripture says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, which means that he had some specific things in mind for you. And for us to have the lifestyle as a believer of whatever. I don't know that there's a word that I said in life more than the word whatever before I got saved. Tony, dad needs you to take out the trash. Whatever. (laughs) Hey, you need to bring your grades up. Whatever. You know what I mean? But you know, whenever, <laughs> never could do that. <laughs> but whenever God gets a hold of you and you get a hold of God, whatever doesn't exist, there's purpose. Life has purpose. And if you haven't found your purpose, then get in here because God's got plenty of purpose to go around. You know what I mean? Because you've been called according to his purposes. So the first thing uh, that he comes to in what is it that brings that peace and brings that spiritual maturity, that building up, first thing he says is this, the, um, they continued on in the fear of the Lord. In other words, they were already, the reason those things was happening is they had already been flowing in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the reason they were experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit and able to cry out because they had a fear of the Lord. And I want to look at the word fear. I want to define it a little bit. And it's kind of like, there's three different little definitions. They kind of all actually mean the same thing in, in the context half the time. But they can also have some little variances. And I want to show you those. The word fear comes from the word phobos, like where we get the word phobia. So really the first definition that you kind of have to lay out there as fear of the Lord is the word terrified. You know, the ability to be terrified by the Lord. In other words, the reality of God's greatness and his goodness. At any point, God could just... You know, sniff, and you'd be gone. He could think it, and you're, it's done. You know, he, he, he thought it, spoke it, actually, uh, the universe into existence. He can think, he can speak, he can just, he can look at something and explode, you know, or whatever. God is God. He is great, and he's terrible. Terrible as in terrific, amazing, can't fathom, can do anything. I should probably be on my P, watch my P's and Q's. 
before the Lord because he is great and awesome. It's the, that, that terribleness of the Lord, the reality that he is great and he is good. And then another aspect of the word fear is that sense of awe. And we use that word, I stand in awe of the Lord. I stand in awe of you. As I stand, I stand in awe. Y'all remember that song? We sing that song, but I'm not sure, even until really this, as I was preparing for this, I'm not sure that I really understood what it means to stand in awe of the Lord. And it's tied in with the fear of the Lord, but here's ultimately what it means. That word awe means broken. To To come undone, to be broken before the Lord. In other words, aware of our need for God. That's why it's important to have the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't have the fear of the Lord and that brokenness, that awe of who he is, we won't cry out for the help of the Holy Spirit. A sense of awe, a brokenness. We come into this place week after week and after week after week, or maybe in your times, your quiet times, how often are you broken before the Lord? I think that brokenness comes from the terrifiedness. God is great and he is good. And my life up against that, it's in shambles. And when we get that great picture of the Lord, that fear of the Lord in our head and in our heart, it reminds us of how much we need him, how broken we really are before him. And when we are broken before him, we tend to cry out for help from him. Amen? And the third aspect of the fear of the Lord is reverence. We use that one a lot too. Fear of the Lord, that's reverence. I've taught that a thousand times. It essentially means um, that in the presence of the Lord, we exercise caution. You know what I mean? Like we, uh, we come into the presence of the Lord purposeful and with intention, even with discretion. Why? Because we remember, and hear me close, That God is holy. That was the whole purpose. One of the main, two two main purposes that God established the tabernacle system of worship with Moses and the people of Israel in the desert. And then on through the temple worship. Two things. One, to paint all kinds of pictures and types and shadows of Jesus Christ. And the other thing is to give his people A clear definition of His holiness. When you approach me, you don't do it flippantly. That's why the the high priest, when he would go into the Holy of Holies that uh, on the Day of of, uh, Atonement, once a year, to make atonement for the people and to to, um, to sling blood from the altar onto that mercy seat, he had bells on. He had a rope tied to his leg. And he went in because if he did one thing wrong, if he, if he whipped that blood onto the um, mercy, seat, mercy seat one too little or one too many, it was supposed to be seven times. That, that preaches right there. That whipping motion onto that mercy seat, slinging that blood. You guys get that picture? I mean, come on. It's a picture of Christ, the scourging that he took, the whipping that he took. If he did it eight times, or lost track and did six times. He's dead. And the bell would stop moving and ringing. And the other priests that are outside of the courts would just drag him out by the rope. 
And here's an interesting thing, too. You know, I think people get an idea that the priests are in there just doing all this stuff. And the, and the people on the outside of the tabernacle, they're just playing golf. And they got their wiffle balls going. And they're just saying, whoa, this is a good day. The priests are in there doing their thing. Listen, that's not true. The people on the outside of the tabernacle were in their tents. And they were reverent. And they were still. And they were waiting. And they were listening. What were they listening to? The bell. They could hear that bell moving. And that told them. Um, there's, there's worship going on. And they were engaged into that worship. They weren't disengaged. They weren't off playing golf. They were engaged and they were intense and they were reverent until that day was done. And then they could go back to life. In fact, that whole season of time when, when all that was going on was called the Days of Awe. Those feasts, those fall feasts between the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets and the second one, actually, and it's called the Days of Awe. It's a very reverent time, very introspective, very solemn time. That's how serious they were. It came from the fear of the Lord, a reverence, a discretion, a caution. When that high priest is going in, he's cautious. Okay, I need to do this, and I need to do this. And it's not because, God, I'm ready to strike you down. I just hope you mess up. It wasn't that. He's just painting a picture. Listen, when you come into my presence, you remember that I'm a holy God. Now, on the flip side of that, here comes the new covenant. And all of a sudden, we have freedom in Christ. Now, I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yes, you can. But not without reverence. You approach God with reverence. We can't get too comfortable and casual in the presence of the Lord. You know, I think a weird picture is, I may be going along here, but a weird picture is... And I'm not a political guy. You guys know me, that know me, know that like he's not. He's not a political guy. He doesn't even want to spell it, you know. But, you know, there was a president that has existed in history that, I guess, modeled or took a picture or there was a picture just plastered all over the place with him and his shirt off. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's a picture of our current president Kind of like with his shirt off. You know, nobody's ever seen that picture? Listen. <laughs> Where did you see that, Tony? <laughs> and what is our president up to? <laughs> it's not like that. No, listen. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've, I've seen it and I've heard about it. And Melissa and I have kind of laughed about it. But I got to thinking about. Listen. And, and listen. Okay. Our president has a chest. And maybe even some chest hairs, okay? He probably sleeps with his shirt off. I get that. But when you, when that is something that is flaunted, or that is something that is so casual that our president is, there's, there's a chasm that, that, is, that is inserted in between us and that authority figure. You hear what I'm saying? And so any casualness, any comfortableness that we have with God in anything lesser than worthy to be revered causes us to be very casual in our approach to Him. And so people come in to churches week after week after week, not even considering God. They're there for whatever reason. And you know what? That's about what they end with. That's what they leave with. But when you come in, with a view of God, His greatness and His goodness, and you can 
stand before him and let the words of the song that are sung or the prayers or the scriptures that are read or the, you know, we can let that flow over you and soak into your heart and you can let it break you and you become aware of your need for him and you cry out for him and you sing and you worship and you do that with reverence and you do that with respect and you do that in a decent and orderly manner. You are able to leave that place a little different than when you came in. And why do we even come into this place if we have a purpose in our heart other than changing a little bit or a lot? But that's the case. It can be very easy to allow our freedom in Christ to loosen the way we live and the way we worship. I'm free in Christ. Because if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Yes. And I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yes. But since God never changes, and He's holy then, and He's holy now, then I still need to have the same focus and intentionality. It doesn't mean I need to be some square and come in like that, but a reverence in my heart, man. You guys know what I'm talking about? when I come into the presence of the Lord. If you're writing something down, you can write this and we'll end with this. We must be careful not to forgo the fear of the Lord with freedom as our pardon. We must be careful not to forego the fear of the Lord with freedom as our pardon. And I think the best way to apply all this is first, personally, let it soak into your family and then apply it to your church life your worship life. Because this is where Paul was addressing the Corinthians. We live in a culture that really pushes an anti-Christ agenda on us. And listen, to think that it doesn't affect us or we're, we're exempt from those pressures, man, that's just stupid. That's naive. So we have to be very intentional. You, cry, you, you want peace, you want to grow in the Lord, but where's the fear of the Lord? And are you crying out to the Lord for help to become at peace and to grow spiritually. It's, it's very cyclical, really. And the less peace, <laughs> I'll say this, the less peace, in my experience, the less peace that you experience, the more chaos that you experience, then usually it affects your spirit, and so you don't act very maturely. And when you get in that vicious cycle, fear of the Lord, whatever, there's whatever again. Whatever. I'm frustrated. And a frustrated Christian is not a praying and worshiping Christian. It starts with the fear of the Lord. And listen, if you don't have some deep understanding in your brain right now about, wow, then just open this up and start reading. Because if there's one thing that's emphasized, it's His greatness and His goodness. It won't take you very long to have your worldview changed in that sense. Let's stand.